Good morning, Riverside, Lisbon. Opa. Good morning. You need to be louder than her, otherwise I can't hear you. It's, I won't say it's summer again because it's not really summer just yet, as Jodé said. Actually, summer only begins tomorrow officially. So enjoy how many of you are rain people or winter people. Thank God. I have a sister-in-law that would, would, would rather live in a cold country with snow, with rain, and all of that than just uh, living in Portugal with our kind of weather. But if, if you came to Portugal by the promise of really nice weather and beach and that time, I'm really sorry to disappoint you up until this point. I, I, I can't promise that's going to be any better because nowadays summer is kind of tricky. We never know what we're going to get. But I, I hope for a really good hot summer. Before, uh, Portuguese summer would mean hot summer. So let's hope it will get back to it. Uh, as some of you will remember, if you were at Riverside Lisbon since last summer, that we did a message series called Summer of Psalms. Now, it was a memorable time around the Word of God. It was wonderful to go through different psalms, and psalms are prayers, psalms are poems, and they really helped us go into a time of introspection and looking inside our hearts and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to do a, a wonderful work inside of us. But this year, we will enter the summer season, which officially will begin tomorrow, with a series called Summer of Parables. What are parables? Parables are, this, are the stories that Jesus told. And if someone deserves the title of storyteller, it's Jesus. My father-in-law will come a close second. Because my father-in-law always has a good story to tell. If, if anything has happened to you in your own life that is unusual, chances are, I, if I was a betting man, I would bet it also happened to my father-in-law. That's why he has always so many good stories to tell. But Jesus comes first in his stories. 35% of Jesus' teachings come in the form of parables. There are 55, at least 55 different parables in the Gospels of Luke, Mark, and Matthew. If you open one of the Gospels at random... Chances are that you will find in one of those pages, you will find the parable that Jesus taught. And a parable is simply an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. Uh, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The word parable comes from the Greek word that means to lay alongside. And that's what parables do. They come alongside important spiritual truths uh, that God wants us to understand. So when Jesus started telling parables to the people, his disciples asked the obvious question to Jesus. Why do you teach in parables? Why do you speak in parables? And his answer to them may seem a, a bit strange to hear. And this is what the Word of God says in Matthew 13, verse 11. It says, Knowledge about the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but it has not been given to the crowd. In other words, the parables were meant to divide the crowd. 
This may seem as Jesus is denying some people access to the truths that he's teaching, but the difference he means is not in the message that he preaches, but in the response from the people that listen. The parables themselves are very, very simple stories from everyday life. Everyday events that communicate issues about life, about eternity. And most people in the crowd would recognize that, those stories. So Jesus didn't code the lessons or the teachings in order to prevent some people from understanding. But he actually made them simple. Simple enough that even a child could understand something important about the kingdom of God. But his teaching divided the listeners into two different groups based on their responses. At one point, many people were following Jesus because of the miracles. By hearsay, they, they would know that there is a prophet, there is someone that is working miracles, that is blessing the people. And they were attracted by the physical manifestation of the kingdom of God. But when Jesus started speaking and teaching, the parables revealed the true nature of people's responses and, uh, and allowed, him, allowed Jesus and, and the people to understand the real decisions that they were making with their lives. Those committed to the kingdom of God would seek further understanding of things from God. But those that were uncommitted, they just came because they wanted to see the miracles. They just wanted to experience the signs. They just had initial excitement. They would later reject the teaching of Jesus as an important. The great majority of, of people back in Jesus' days were not interested in God's truth. The reason they did not understand most of Jesus' parables, it's because they didn't want to hear. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 13, two verses later, this is why I speak to them this way, said Jesus. They see but they're blind. They hear, but they don't listen. They don't even try to understand. Jesus made a clear distinction between those who had ears to hear and those who decided to persist in lack of knowledge, in unbelief, always hearing, but always unable to recognize the truth, even if it was right in front of them. This Thursday at, um, in our Bible study, we were reading, as usual, the Gospel of Mark. And we, we were reading the beginning of Mark 6. And it tells a, a story, um, a true story of what happened uh, in Jesus' ministry. So Jesus went back to his hometown in Nazareth after he was away for some time in ministry. And the Bible says that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is basically the Jewish church. So Jesus went to church like everyone else back at the day would go to church, which was called the synagogue. And Jesus started teaching there. And at first, people were amazed at Jesus. He had such a way of expressing. He had such a, such a love, such a way of, of bringing people in and captivating people with, with a message that came from the heart of God. But all of a sudden, people started thinking, where did Jesus get these ideas? Where did this wisdom come from? He's a carpenter. We knew his dad. We grew up with him. 
We know his mom. We know his brothers and sisters. Who is he to tell us how to live? Who is he to raise his voice? He's just a carpenter. He didn't even study. He's not a super important person to do this. And the Bible says that they were offended by Jesus. And some of us, we started following Jesus not that long ago. Some of us are following Jesus as far as we can remember. But every Sunday or every time the, the God allows us to be together, we gather together with the purpose of hearing the Word of God and allow the Word of God to change our hearts. This group of people that went to the synagogue, to the church back then, apparently they had the same purpose as us. They wanted to listen to the words of God, but then their hearts were not open to listen to what was being said. And my question to us this morning is, how are we listening to God? How's been the quality of your hearing? Not just even during the week, but even on Sundays. And I, th I think we can easily become defensive about it. Oh, but I'm listening. I'm there. I even put, I made the effort of going to church. Who is Reuben? Who is anyone to question my attitude of being at church to listen to what God has to say? But you know, when we come together, many times we do the exact same thing as the people of Nazareth. We get distracted with the messenger. We get distracted with the screen, with the slides. We get distracted with our phones. We get distracted with our busy schedule. We get distracted by a million things that are going on while God is speaking. While God is interested in giving you understanding and knowledge of the things of God that have the power to change and impact your life. Now imagine this. If the people of Nazareth were able to reject Jesus... And if you could see truth face to face, it would be in the face of Jesus. If you could see love face to face, it's in the face of Jesus. But still the people of Nazareth, they rejected Jesus. Now how much more my job or the job of someone that is preaching the word is difficult. Because your mind you can just say, oh it's just Reuben. And it's Reuben again. And it's Gabby. Oh, it, that's just Pedro. Oh, that's just someone that is talking. And we reject the teaching that comes from the heart of God to us every time we get together. So my prayer for us in this introduction to our message series is that every time God brings us a parable, every time that God brings us a word, that we will be a people who want to hear That we will be a people that want to understand. That we will not stop in this passage and the simple explanation. But we will seek and find further understanding through the word of God and these parables. Most people that comment on the Bible and historians, they absolutely agree on this. Those interested in, interested in understanding the things of God through the, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, will find that understanding. But those who are not interested, they will keep not understanding. So may God open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts 
to what he has to teach us during this message series. And this week, we will start by looking into a very, very small parable that Jesus told. It's called the parable of the mustard seed. How many of you are familiar with this parable before we read it? Okay, show hands. No, I don't want shy people. I want people like this. Okay, you are familiar. Good. You, you probably already know um, quite a bit about it. But let's follow together and let's read in Mark chapter 4. And let's begin in verse 30. The word says, Jesus asked, how can we show what God's kingdom is like? To what can we compare it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. The mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds on earth. However, when planted, it comes up and becomes taller than all the garden plants. It grows such large branches that birds can nest in its shade. And the disciples may have had great ideas of what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus started preaching, and when he started teaching, he said, the kingdom of God is near. In other points, Jesus has said, the kingdom of God has arrived. So imagine disciples, these disciples that look at Jesus and they recognize that he's the Messiah. He's the one that they were waiting for for a long, long time. When Jesus starts preaching about the kingdom of God, all of these different ideas come to mind. Maybe their vision of God's kingdom is like a huge mountain that is over and beyond anything that is on this planet. Maybe the, the kingdom of God is like a, a strong river that everywhere it passes, it will shake things up. It will change everything. Maybe they, they looked at the kingdom of God or imagined the kingdom of God like a, this massive oak tree. Just so huge, one of the largest trees ever, much bigger than the tree of the Romans, much bigger than the tree of, of anyone, any other people on earth. This was God's kingdom. But I'm sure they were a bit surprised, and just a bit is probably an understatement. When Jesus didn't compare the kingdom of God to a huge mountain, to a massive tree, to uh, this mighty river... But Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a tiny mustard seed. Jesus uses the image of something super small to teach us about something that is larger than anything that we can ever understand. Jesus uses the image of something that we can barely almost see. I put it together some pictures. This is a picture, if you guys can put it up. The picture of a mustard seed. There you go. Can you have an... That's the palm of someone's hand. Can you just grasp what Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God into? The smallest of seeds known to man. One of the smallest. Probably the smallest that man can plant. The mustard seed is so tiny, it takes about 750 of them to make up a single gram. 750 to make up a gram. It's a tiny seed, but it actually produces a large plant. Let's look at the next image. So this is how big a mustard seed bush or even tree can look like after it has blossomed. 
Jesus compared the kingdom of God to that tiny seed. To a kingdom that he himself has inaugurated. Most people, because of the size of the kingdom of God at that point, they wouldn't be able to understand that they were, in fact, seeing the kingdom of God arriving. Jesus was born in a tiny little town called Bethlehem. He was born in poverty. He wasn't brought up in a very wealthy family. He lived in Galilee, and no one believed that a man of God could ever come from Galilee. He was raised in Nazareth, this town, and people were considered, the inhabitants of Nazareth were considered back then to be wicked and uh, worldly by the rest of the Jews. So they were not religious people compared to other people. He had no relevant family connections his followers, for the most part, they were the dregs of society, the ones that everyone rejected. But the Bible even says that his own people rejected him. People rejected Jesus. They despised him. The Romans eventually nailed him to a cross, and they buried him in a tomb. There is no question that the king of this kingdom was just like this tiny Apparently insignificant mustard seed in the beginning. No one could ever understand and see what the impact of Jesus' life would become. Many people still, until, up until this day, they don't accept Jesus as he is. They like what Jesus teaches. He likes the th they like the things that he did, but they reject and they even make fun of the claims that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Savior of mankind. But these are the facts. God sent His Son into the world. He was born of a virgin. And yes, He was raised in this context. But He was King of kings and Lord of lords. And from His life that He gave on the cross and through the power of His resurrection, He is the King of a kingdom that will last for eternity and exists until today. And we are part of this kingdom. What Jesus did and what Jesus represents is something that is going to last forevermore. More than any other kingdom. More than anything that actually exists on this planet. We are part of a kingdom, the kingdom of God, that will last for all eternity. Some people say, oh, but that's too exclusive. How can you ever say that? That Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. It means that there is no one else. There is no way to, other way to be saved. And according to the word of God and according to the teachings of Jesus, that is the truth. There is no other way for people to be saved. There is no other way for people to be in the kingdom of God. There is no other way that people can have their lives transformed by the power of God that is given through the life of Jesus for us. And it's such a big of a claim that even today, people look at Jesus and they see, no, that's too tiny. That's too small. How can Jesus be? the one and only Savior. But Jesus is and was in the beginning just this tiny little mustard seed. But then it grows. The Bible says when this tiny mustard seed is planted in good soil, 
It germinates and produces a very large bush like the one that you saw. Some mustard seeds grow as high as 4.5 meters. Something so small, such humble beginnings, can become something that is truly amazing to see. And that's exactly the image of the kingdom of God. When this tiny little seed was planted in the soil of ancient Israel, the prospects of success were definitely a bit far in the beginning. Jesus had only a few shabby followers, no one that anyone would ever recall. His followers were uneducated fishermen, a few revolutionaries, some women, and a traitor. But by the day of Pentecost came, there was just 120 people that were devoted to Jesus. That they would recognize Jesus as the Son of God. But on that day, the day of Pentecost, something amazing happened. The Bible says that these 120 believers, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began teaching and preaching about the wonders of God. Speaking about who Jesus is. Speaking about the plan of salvation that God had for all mankind. And the Bible says on that day alone, over 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people came into the kingdom of God. And a short time after that, after a huge miracle that happened at the gates of the temple, another 5,000 people got saved. In a few days, more than 8,000 people got, be, became part of the kingdom of God. Only within a few days. But this was just the beginning of the church. This was just the beginning of the kingdom of God. As the message was being carried out into the world, vast multitudes came to Jesus. Uh, so many people found the grace and the hope that we can only find in Jesus. And we are witnesses of that. If we are here today and we're preaching about Jesus, and we have found peace and love and grace in our lives and hearts, it's because this message didn't stop. It's because the, the, the church is still here to preach and to teach that this kingdom is alive and active. And this kingdom is what God has designed for us to get to know about the power of God and the gospel of grace. Everywhere where the gospel seed had been planted, souls have been saved. Lives have been changed. Now the church continued to grow. And you know something? The church will keep on growing. That is the purpose while we're still here and not, we're not in heaven with Jesus right now. The purpose is that the church continues to grow because Jesus is still saving. Jesus is still transforming. He is transforming and blessing the lives of the saved, the lives of people who have surrendered to him. But Jesus is also very, very interested in saving those that do not know about him. Your co-workers, your friends, your family members, your neighbors, people that study with you, people that you just pass by the street, people that are, were on the bus or in the metro station with you. Jesus is interested that Everyone should know that he's the answer, that he is the savior of all mankind. But one day, 
The Bible says that we will all be with Jesus in heaven. One day this kingdom will be transferred. Whatever it is happening here on this earth will be transferred to heaven. And the Bible says that we will all live together with Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 9, After these things I saw a large crowd from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. No one was able to count how many people there were. They were standing in front of the throne and the Lamb. They were, weaving white, they were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and crying out loud in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the end picture. This is the final picture of the, this mustard seed. This is what we're going towards. This is the reason why we are alive here and that we're part of God's kingdom. From very humble beginnings, one day we will all live in the presence of God. One day we will be in the multitude, in the crowd of people from every nation, every language, every people, every culture. And we will be praising and living in the presence of God forever. Enjoying the, the infinite love that he has for all of his creation. This is a very, very big end for a very small beginning. And I bet that you know that you also had a very small beginning. The Bible says that we were all dead in our, in our sins. We were separated from God. Maybe you grew up with people that said, you will never sum up to anything in life. You're just this tiny little thing, insignificant. Maybe you don't even know your parents that well. I know that my dad was never around his parents much when he grew up. People can be just like these tiny little mustard seeds that no one really cares and no one really notices. But as small or insignificant our lives might seem, you are valuable to God. Your life is precious to God. Even if you feel like you're insignificant, that you have nothing to offer, the Bible says that God looks at you and He sees you. He notices you. And you might even be like a tiny little mustard seed, but no one can fathom. No one can even understand the wonderful things that God has in store for your life. No one can know. The things that God can do when He takes you and He loves you and He nurtures you and He places you in a church community. He places you in, in a place where people will love and invest in your life when they will teach you things about God and your life will start to blossom. And you will start to see things happen in your life that could only happen because of the power of God in your heart and life. We cannot reject Little tiny mustard seeds. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. 
Do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. God is in the business of taking things that seem insignificant and unworthy and make something great of them. You can look at the Bible. You can see what he did with Moses. You can see what he did with Ruth, with Gideon, with David, with Mary, with Peter, with Mary Magdalene. And the Bible goes on and on and on and on with people whose lives were transformed by God. He did it with us. We were far away from God. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. But we are here today. And we're not what we used to be. We're something much bigger with something greater. And if we do only this exercise of looking back at the grace of God in our lives... We have so many reasons to praise God for. We have so many things to thank God for. He did this with us even at Riverside Lisbon. Five years ago, this church family didn't even exist. We weren't part of this family. We didn't know each other. But now look where we are. Well, how far God has taken us because that is the purpose of the kingdom of God. Riverside, Lisbon, in the beginning, were two people. And then there are four people. And then six people. And then ten. And then we had only maybe ten chairs. And then we had 15 chairs and 30 chairs. And all of a sudden, this place is not, place is not enough to have everyone that would like to be here on a Sunday morning. I'm praying that COVID goes away really fast. Because I long for the day to see people from every tribe, every nation, every language praising and worshiping Jesus in this place. Because Jesus deserves that. Because Jesus is worthy of that. And I know that that's your wish as well. When we get together, we start to see this plant. We start seeing the branches of this mustard seed. We start seeing the things that God does. And hopefully many of you will travel during summertime. And, or you will visit your home church back home. And you will see people that you didn't know before. You will get to know people that you haven't seen before. Maybe you will go just visit a country where you've never been before. And you will visit a church on Sunday. You will visit a church community. You will see another branch of this massive tree. You will see people whose lives were also transformed by the love of Jesus like yours has been. This blesses us so much. When we look at the things that God is doing all over this world. And the Bible says, do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise what is small. What matters is, is God in it? If God is in it, give it time. Give it time, it will blossom. There are things in your life that are still very small, apparently very insignificant. Give God the time. He knows how to make things work. He knows how to transform something that appears to be nothing into something that will show His glory and His power. This tiny seed 
grows into an immense plant. This passage that we read, the main passage says that its branches spread themselves abroad, offering a place even for the birds to find rest. And I love this message of this tiny mustard seed. This tiny mustard seed, when it grows, it can offer rest to those that find shelter in its shade. Just as birds in this parable, they found great blessings under the branches, we also find so many blessings when we come to Jesus. Jesus is a shelter from the storms of life. He's the solution for the terrible problem of sin. He offers food for our souls. He gives a new purpose for our lives. He gives us everlasting life. Jesus is everything that we can ever hope for in life. And the Bible says in Colossians 1.13, God has rescued us from the power of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. And thank God for the blessings that we find in Jesus. I cherish the day where, when I invited Jesus into my heart and life. And I can tell you that changed everything for me. So if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, if you haven't made that commitment of saying, Jesus, I want you in my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to find this peace that that the Word of God is talking about. I want to find this love, this purpose. I want to find rest for my soul. The only thing that you need to do is come to Jesus. Because every time people turn to Jesus, things change. And lives are changed. Even societies are able to change. And I know that we look at so many things in society and, and things seem to go from bad to worse. But the Bible says and the Bible teaches that when people come to Jesus, things change. And not just people change, but societies change. And we hear testimonies of things that God is doing in so many countries around the world. If many of you just look into what the God is doing in countries such as China, such as Guatemala, such as Senegal, such as even Brazil and different regions of Brazil, if you look into things then and how nations are being transformed in the core because people have surrendered their hearts to Jesus. People find love, peace, compassion, regardless of their social status. Crime incidents decreases. Decency, morality spring up. Hospitals, schools are founded. Orphanages for the fatherless, homes for the homeless. The truth of the gospel freed people from cannibalism, polygamy, child sacrifice, and ten thousands of other evils. Entire nations were founded on the principles of the gospel. And even though some of these countries are not living up to the principles when they began, they are still blessed by living some of those principles. They still find progress because they get attached to the gospel and to the word of God. The gospel has the power to change individuals, to change communities, and to even change nations. And that's why the church is still on this earth. 
That is why the kingdom of God is still on this planet and it's not in heaven yet. Because God wants to move with his divine power. And the kingdom of Satan must fall before the appearance of the kingdom of God in all of its glory. From humble beginnings, we have to believe that we're part of a people that we do not exist to just be tiny and insignificant in the world and in society. But wherever God takes you, wherever God has planted you, wherever circumstances are the ones, the soil where you were put by God, the Lord has the way for you to flourish. The Lord has a way for you to blossom. And you and I, we only be sensitive to the things that God wants to do. And He wants to do great, amazing things in your life. Because the same power that raised this tiny mustard seed and made it this church community that we all belong to is the same power that lives in you and me. I want to invite the worship team to come. And we will keep worshiping God. Just like that picture in the book of Revelation. One day we will exalt God in a day that it will never end. That it will last forever. But here in the church, it's our opportunity to offer God the praise and the glory that His name deserves. So I want you all to stand with me. And the challenge is simple. God has a plan. And the plan is that everyone finds rest in this shelter. That is Jesus. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Him, if you haven't made this decision, today is a day where everything can change in your life, where you can embrace the kingdom of God, when you can say, God, I want my life to count. I know that my life for you matters. I want to be part of this kingdom. And the Bible says that everyone that opens their hearts and lives to Jesus will be saved. They're part of this family. So if you want to take this step in your life for the very first time, after the service, come speak to me. Come speak to one of us of the team. We'll gladly pray with you and, and, and tell you how you can grow in the understanding of the things of God. But if you are a child of God, this is a time where God wants to take our lives and we are in the presence of God. And we need to believe that He can use us in ways that we can, could never imagine before. God can use anything that you have, anything that is in your hand, in order to be a blessing to many. I was just speaking to someone bef just before the service began. And what was she, she was saying to me is, I've been so blessed by God. God has shown me so many great things, and I'm so grateful. I pray that God will make me a blessing to many. And that's, that's the heart that Jesus is looking for. That's the attitude of a tiny mustard seed. Someone that recognizes that they don't have much. But God, if you can use me, here I am, Lord. Take me. 
take me in my humble beginnings, take me in my apparent insignificance and do something in my life. We want to live lives that exist for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for this time in your presence and for the power of your word, for the power of your teachings. Lord, our words and our understanding is so limited to fathom the greatness of your kingdom, of the power of the things that you want to do in this world still until the day that we will live, we'll all live with you in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is with us, that your Holy Spirit is with us to help us understand the power of your word, Lord. And I pray that even as we were digging in the word through this message, Father, that your spirit has brought up different thoughts, different ideas, different purposes in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, help us to be faithful to the tiny little mustard seed and to the things that it teaches us. Lord, help us not to reject small beginnings whether it's something that you've started in our lives, maybe the day when we open our hearts to you, maybe a project, maybe a plan, maybe a job in a, a place where you open the door and you have planted us there. Maybe it's seeing how your love will impact the lives of our friends, of our family members, of our loved ones, that we wish that they would find the same love and peace that we found in Lord, I pray that you will give us a heart to believe that you still have the power to make things grow, that you still have power to use things that might seem insignificant, but it will have an impact for all eternity. Lord, I pray for every one of us that we will continue to put our faith in you and allow you to use us to change this world. I pray for this church family, this church community, that even through the eyes of many, we might seem small and tiny. But Lord, we want to have a great impact for you. We want our lives to count. Lord, even if we are 750 and we're just one gram, Lord, but you can use us for your glory. Father, I pray that throughout the rest of this year, this summer, the, the days of living that you give us, that we will continue to be fruitful in your kingdom. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And we find peace in knowing that we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords that is not ashamed of identifying with something so small, just like we are. We give you honor and, and glory this morning. We praise your name, Jesus.